welcome to Book Squad Goals. We are super excited today because we have two very special guests. We have Lisa Kroger and Melanie Anderson, the two authors of Monster She Wrote, which just came out from Quirk, one of our favorites. Um, they also are host on the No Fear podcast. That's No K. N-O-W, Fear Podcast. And we're really excited that you guys are here with us today. We're excited. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yes. I... Yay. Yay. I'm so glad that this worked out. Have my book here with me. Yay. From where I was I reading was reading it, it on, my, on the train today. <laughs> Love it. Um, before we talk about our uh, book that we d- are discussing today, which is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by classic horror queen Shirley Jackson Uh, I thought we could talk a little bit to you guys and hear about your experiences in horror and hear about your book and just get to chat a little bit while we have you here before we get to the book we read Um, so I'm I'm really interested in what drew you both to talking and writing about horror like we all love horror as well. It's one of our favorite genres. But what drew you guys to writing about and talking about horror? Oh, man. Um, it's kind of a big question. <laughs> that's a huge question. Um, this is Lisa here, by the way. Um, you know, I, here's honestly what drew me to horror is I was terrified of everything as a child. And to the point that when I went into a blockbuster video, because I'm that old, to... We're all uh, that old. Yeah. <laughs> so are we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, uh, to rent a movie, we'd go there like on Friday nights, and I would have to cover my eyes walking through the store because I was so pe- petrified that I would see something in the horror section. <laughs> you know, on the on the VHS yeah. covers. Yes. And I was just terrified. And... but. But that intrigued me, too. And so even though I didn't, I mean, my parents were very good parents, and they did not let me watch, like, Hellraiser. But, <laughs> for example. <laughs> but and I I'm had, still bitter about it, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had just absolutely, like, invented this backstory for Pinhead because I, I couldn't stop staring when I would look. Yes. And... And then I wanted to know. So then I started reading everything. And I mean, you know, I grew up on R.L. Stein and um, Christopher Pike. And those were like my entry gateway drugs to horror. Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't stop. So. <laughs> I think you have perfectly described my childhood. Too. <laughs> okay. That sounds yeah. so I, I specifically remember the, for some reason, this like stands out to me. Remember how there was that, like, Jack Frost horror movie? Yes. Where he was, like, mean, evil Jack Frost? I can remember the cover of that, and that freaked me out so much as a kid in the blockbuster. (laughs) The one I remember the most, because I have a really specific memory of this, too, was The Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that, too. Um, Yeah, with, like, the moth over Mm. her mouth. Terrifying. And I was always like, what is that? And I would always ask if we could rent it. And my dad would be like, no, (laughs) we cannot. So like, as soon as I was old enough to be like, hey, mom, how about you let me rent it? Because it just stuck with me. 
It's one of my favorite mm. movies now. Yeah. Totally worth the wait. So good. Yeah. What about you, Melanie? All right. Um, in some ways, I have a kind of similar story to Lisa. As a child, I was very easily scared by horror. Um, and in some ways, I still kind of am. Um, oddly enough, what pulled me into horror and what I ended up writing about mostly was the supernatural. Um, so when I was growing up, uh, I read a lot of mysteries, a lot of sci-fi and fantasy uh, but I was really interested in ghost stories. Um, I read scary stories of Tell in the Dark when everybody else was reading it. But I love yes. stuff like Scooby-Doo with its kind of gothic strangeness, you know. Um, I read Benicula. Yes. And, and oh, my God. I love books. Benicula. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and I got sucked into that trilogy and read those books. Um, but I never really thought of myself as like a horror person. I was just someone who liked ghost stories. Um but I loved like Poe when I was reading it in school and Shirley Jackson when I was introduced to her. And so I feel like in some ways The Haunting of Hill House, when I read that, um, when I was either just about to finish high school or I was in college, um, kind of pulled me into like, you know, oh, I need to be reading more Haunted House stuff because I like ghost stories. I need to get into that. Um, and then when I went to graduate school, I started talking to uh, – folks like Lisa, who were also working on the supernatural and fiction. And I was like, hey, may maybe I do like horror. I may not like like all of horror, but I definitely like some subgenres oh, yeah. of it. Um, and I ended up doing a lot of my academic, a lot of the stuff I've written as an academic has been about hauntings in fiction. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into I it. I think that's the most fun thing about being an academic is when you realize like, oh, I'm into this thing. I can write about that professionally? Yeah. <laughs> like you will. Yeah, that was a big moment for me. Like I can write about ghosts? Like, okay, you'll, fine. I'll, you'll I'll pay do that. me to write about this thing I like? <laughs> <laughs> I can teach this? <laughs> We'll sort of pay you. For we'll pay you. <laughs> uh, not much, but something. Yeah. <laughs> it's still that's an awesome feeling. Jk, I'm just still bitter about my. Yeah, failure we have, as an we're we're a mixture general, of so. academics and former academics here. A lot of us, so. And not yeah, academics, and then we have the one non-academic here. But, <laughs> Only me. Yeah. Well, we had to have one so that we didn't yeah. seem like stops. <laughs> you had to have one. We had to dip uh, our toe in clean. with the. They're like, do you have like a dumb hot friend? And we're like, yes, we do. It's me. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Kelly is super, super brilliant, but she is hot. That was not a joke. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I think you guys both point out a good thing, or like an interesting thing about horror is that I think you can still be attracted to horror and still be a little scared. There is like that interesting push and pull like sort of the abject like I'm really interested in this thing and I desire it but I'm also scared of it <laughs> and freaked out like yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes it so fun and you guys talk about fear a lot <laughs> on uh the no fear podcast can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and maybe like some of the favorite topics you guys have discussed so people who are listening to this can maybe go back and listen to some of your favorite episodes uh well to give a little background about the the no fear cast uh the no fear cast is hosted by lisa and me and then another friend of ours matt uh and what we do is we basically we we break down horror into i guess like tropes or themes so for example we've We've talked about haunted houses. I think that was our first one that we did. Um, we talked about witches. We talked about the occult. 
And we'll take like, say, three or four episodes on that topic. So first, we'll talk about why it's scary or creeps mm-hmm. us out. <laughs> and then we'll talk about how it works in fiction or how it works in film. And sometimes we'll choose specific works that we all talk about. And other times, we'll just kind of approach it generally. Um, we've also done some interviews uh, on the podcast. But that's kind of how we approach it is like talking about fear, but then how it works in, say, literature yeah. and film. Probably more literature because that's... yeah. Our wheelhouse. Yeah. Oh, man. Some of my favorite themes. I really enjoyed our series on the occult. I mean, um, I'm already like, I need to talked go about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Myself. yeah. As soon as you um, said occult, I was like, tell me. The I'll have to say, there. like, <laughs> when I found out about your podcast, I went back through and try to like pick which ones I wanted to listen to. And like, that was those were the first ones I was like, I'm gonna start there. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, my favorite episode series might be probably spiritualism um i i love that so many women uh during during that time period were using that as like a a way into power and um but beyond that i think and this one was pretty recent but when we talk about cults like i'm just you know anytime you tell me a cult is involved in something i'm a hundred percent in I want to know every detail. All yes, mm-hmm. I need yeah. all the gossip on the cults. <laughs> Susan was clapping. Yeah, when you said cult. Yeah, love yeah, we, cults. Not in any. Not yet. That we know. Um, currently, but I'm still young. <laughs> Who knows what'll happen next? But I mean, any um, age you could join yeah. a cult. Really, I listen to a podcast that's just about cults. Um, it's great too. So I'm gonna. I'm going to dive into your yes. cult episodes and your occult episodes. All, all the cults. I really enjoyed listening to um, your Haunting of Hill House Netflix uh, deep dive into the show. Because I went and I did the same thing as Emily. I was like, let me find like what thing appeals to me most to listen to. And that was like the first thing I saw was that you guys talked about that show. And I like loved that show. And I haven't read the book, which I really needed to do. Um, especially now that I've read this book that we're talking about later. But um yeah, it was it was cool. I love like listening to people dissect like TV shows that I have watched because I can like remember every scene and be like, ah. So I definitely recommend that for people, anyone listening who's watched that show, because you guys uh, really like you did like a couple episodes of the show per episode of the podcast. There were like four episodes on it, so I loved it. I listened to it all in one day. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I we enjoyed doing that one. And in our uh, we talked about the 1963 version of the haunting. Um, oh, that yeah. turned out to be a really a really cool discussion as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have so much to go back and listen to. <laughs> it all sounds <laughs> <Yes>. good. <laughs> <laughs> I can see all the hours of brand new content yes. sitting out in front of me, and, and we will also link to the podcast <laughs> in the show notes so that yes. you guys listening can also go back and check out all of these things we're talking about. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, your new book, Monster She Wrote, is essentially about women writers in the horror genre and in horror adjacent genres. And I know you cover this in the book, but just to give our listeners a brief taste of the book, uh, why do you think women in particular are drawn to the horror genre, drawn to horror as a genre? Cause we've got a whole book full of like badass horror ladies. <laughs> 
And we got a whole podcast full of badass we- ladies who love horror as well right yes. here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there are so many reasons, but one of them that really kind of, I guess, speaks to me and my experience is that, so I grew up in the South. I'm still a Southern girl. And, you know, we are taught that you're supposed to be nice and sweet and polite. And we write our thank you notes and we go to cotillion and we put on dresses (laughs) (laughs) and we know how to set a table. Um, But we're not supposed to like indulge those darker thoughts or those darker ideas that everybody has because we're human beings and... So sometimes I think it's a little form of rebellion because I know for me, when I started like really enjoying horror, people would tell me, why don't you read something nicer? Or why do you watch those horrible movies? And I was like... That's my mom always. (laughs) Like, what kind of question is that? You know? Um, So I I don't know. I I do think there's a little bit of rebellion in there for a lot of these women um, to to see how dark they can get and to see how gross they can get. And yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree with Lisa. Um, if I didn't, I guess we couldn't have written the book. <laughs> that's <together>. true. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I would add too. like, there's so, I mean, unfortunately there is so much real horror in women's lives. Right. I mean, you know, if you if you if you study horror and you study the gothic, you know that those forms of literature often are about things that people don't want to hear about uh, because we don't want to hear about bad things, right? So, I mean, there's lots of stuff in our history as America that we don't really want to hear about or talk about or we want to pu- push away. And there's a lot of great horror out there. You know, I don't know if we want to say like literary horror versus horror, whatever. You know, I, I'm not sure about that, but. You know, if you take a book like Beloved, for instance, right. is talking about real life horror, but it's, it's horror. And there are women dealing with, say, domestic violence, uh, you know, child abuse, various issues. And they wrote, particularly women writing in the 19th century, would write these stories about like vengeful women ghosts coming back or, or ghosts coming back and protecting the children. Or It was a way, I think, to write the story that a lot of people are going to read and point out some real truth without like actually pointing it out, you know, and it's always interesting to me when you're thinking about literature, how realism and horror and 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 kind of uh, supernatural stuff is always at the same going on around the same time, right? People are like, Oh, we want things that are real. Well, sometimes people are writing stuff that's real without quite you know, you can use a ghost to talk about real oh, things, yeah. I think. Thank you. And, uh, and we should all yeah. the time. Agreed. <laughs> it's just my take. <laughs> actually we should only <laughs> Use ghosts to yeah. talk about real <laughs> I, I feel like it was just a couple of episodes ago. We read we read something. I don't even remember what it was now. And Emily said, why was there not a ghost in this book? It was we need like, more ghosts. It was, it was Evie Drake starts over. Oh, which, yeah. <laughs> which is like a romance novel. And I was like. I forgot about that. You know. She was like, why doesn't her dead husband come back as a ghost? Right? To cause so trouble. Better. Yeah. <laughs> Should have had me edit that book. <laughs> was there a particular woman that you researched for the book that was a favorite? Or were there people that you found like most interesting? Do you have favorites? Mm. 
I mean, I know it's like asking, like, pick your favorite kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's so difficult because, like, every time we would discover a new woman or there was a woman we wanted to make sure we put in, it was like I was totally into that woman's yeah. story, like, while I was working on it. And then I'd be like, oh, I, I got to do a little bit of work on this other woman's story. Ah, oh, this is so cool, too. It really is hard. I feel like every time I get asked that, I think of almost a different yeah. person. Um, one for me, and I may be stealing one of Lisa's, I don't know, but one for me was Margaret St. Clair. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm, g- I'm going to be in trouble later this week, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Lisa and I, I don't even know if we were working on this book at the time. We were just talking, having conversation about, like, how many women do you think we're writing um, for weird tales. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know as much about pulp, you know, pulp fiction as I would like to. Um, and so I just started poking around like in my spare time. Um, and I found a couple books where folks have been trying to excavate this history of women who are writing in weird tales and astounding stories and, and galaxy. And this was something that I, you know, I'm, I'm still reading and learning more about. And Margaret St. Clair kept popping up over and over again as someone who was influencing writers writing today. She was someone writing at the same time as Shirley Jackson. I hadn't heard much about her. And she also, she didn't write, she wrote under her own name. And when she did use a pen name, it was, a, it was a female pen name. Like everybody knew she was a woman, you know, um, the, I think the only time she used a male pseudonym was when she just had to, because everybody for this one particular magazine used a pseudonym. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she was an interesting character. She, you know, as Lisa and I have talked about before, she was raised in the Quaker faith and never quite left it, but then also got super into Wicca. And a lot of her novels, which are yeah, extremely hard to find, have like Wicca uh, aspects to them. Um, and so, yeah, a new collection of her short fiction just came out, edited by Ramsey Campbell. Um, and I'm looking forward to sitting down with it because it was so hard until now to even find her stuff to read. Um, and she's one of the more well-known women that were writing right. at that time. That's wild. Yeah. I love thinking about her, like, I'm going to still be a Quaker, but... <laughs> I'm also going to do if? a few spells on the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just look into it. She's a hybrid, you know. If you're going to be a Quaker, that seems like a good way to yeah. do it. True. With some spells on the side. <laughs> no, I, you know, I feel like Margaret St. Clair might have been one of the reasons we wrote this book. Because we were both yeah. just really, really intrigued by her story. And um, I, I love her short story, The Man Who Sold Rope to the Knolls. I just think that's a really fun one. Um, but if I had to pick another one, I mean, Shirley Jackson's always a favorite, so that will always be yeah. an answer. But um, kind of going along with the weird tales and the women we couldn't find, there was a woman who wrote under the pen name Eli Coulter, um, and she is, she was incredibly hard to write about in the book because we could not find information on her. And she wrote a story called The Last Horror, which is such a great, weird Western. Um, it's just really fantastic. And the only, one of the only biographical real information we could find about her was about one of her husbands because she had been married like three times. And... She wanted to write about cowboys, so she put an ad out in the paper to basically interview cowboys and apparently fell in love with one of them. And then that was, I think, maybe her third husband. (laughs) As one does. 
I love this woman. <laughs> I have not heard of her. And I, I am desperate to find out more information about her life because I was like, if that's the only thing they're telling, like, what are they not telling? Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> the public information. Right. I would love, like, I'm just imagining the ad being like, are you a cowboy? Would you let me interview you? Also, are you single? <laughs> that's gonna be my next excuse for finding a a match we were asking before we started do you guys have any pets that you want to talk about or children or children (laughs) you don't have to talk about children and or children um, we love pets on the podcast and actually if you go to our website we have like little biographies for all of our pets i love that yeah we're obsessed with them (laughs) Written with care. <laughs> I spent more time on that than on my own yeah, life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so do you guys have any uh, special animal friends? Oh, I, yes. Well, okay, so I have two little boys. I have to mention that. Um, yes. Not but, yes. Tess, but, but family members. Yes. Humans. Um, Human friends. I have two dogs. Uh, mm. One is an American bulldog, and oh. she. Oh. her name is Kazi, which is short oh for Inkozi Kazi, which is Queen and Zulu. Cool. Um, my husband is from South Africa, so that's why oh. <laughs> the Zulu awesome. name. Um, and she's amazing. She's she's like got the soul of a middle aged woman, and <laughs> gets annoyed by everything. You know, she just like constantly rolls her eyes at me and sighs. Um, oh wow! <laughs> but I. I love her. Um, but she's very loving. And then I have uh, a puppy. Well, he's still really a puppy. He's um, a Boykin Spaniel uh, mixed with a Brittany Spaniel, I think. And um, his name is Ro, which is short for Rochambeau because I'm also obsessed with the musical Hamilton. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And... Uh, yeah, the, he, he he's my wild child. He <laughs> is just hyperactive and into everything. So those are those are my two furry furry babies, and I love them very much. It's nice to meet another dog person on the pod. Yeah, we're a cat pod for the most yeah, part. Yeah, we're primarily I'm the cats. Only, I'm the only dog yeah, ever. No cats. Of the four no of cats us. here. Just no cats. dogs. That's okay. Yeah. We all love dogs. Well, my yeah. dogs would kill a cat. Otherwise, I'd have a cat if I could. But I tried once. It didn't go well. So I've decided not to endanger any cat. <laughs> uh, I have one dog. No cats. Oh, um, oh we're almost even. <laughs> another dog person. Uh, my dog is... She's a terrier mixed with a bunch of other mm-hmm. stuff. Those so she's... Uh, She's white with kind of black, well, little black spots and also large black spots. Uh, <laughs> she kind of looks like a wire-haired Jack Russell Aww. with longer legs, but she's super Aww. cute. Um, and when I adopted her uh, from the shelter, she was like only about a year old or so, and she was super fast and had tons of energy, like run, 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 like play fetch for three hours. She was like running around my house using the furniture as a launch pad to go faster. <laughs> I was just like, what is happening? And uh, her name at the shelter had been Bobby. And she'd been at the shelter for like three or four months. So I thought, I'm not going to change her name on her. But once once I realized how super fast she was, I started calling her Ricky Bobby. Uh-huh. So, so that, that name has stuck Aww, with her. Yeah, even though she's like almost 10 now Aww. and a lot slower. She, You're still, she still shakes and bakes every once in a while. She's still fast at heart. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> she sounds so cute. <laughs> 
is there anything else you guys would like to plug before we get into Shirley Jackson? Anything else going on? <laughs> it's okay if not. I'm not trying to you. You know, like, how's it going? Wait, Lisa has to plug her own t-shirt right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. I, I'm wearing... Okay, let me just say I love Out of Print, the, yes. the yes. company. Um so they have mm-hmm. several Shirley Jackson shirts, and I've got the We Have Always Lived in the Castle one, which has a black cat on it. I um, love it. Yeah. And if I had a black cat, Jonas. I would I would name it um, <laughs> Jonas, but yes. yeah. I think a black cat would kill me. So I'm, I'm no. hi, highly Aww. allergic. <laughs> oh, no. well, if you're highly oh, allergic in that case. <laughs> so, yeah, just a t-shirt. Really great I, name for I love, though, you know. Like, I love the original that original cover with Jonas. It's so cool. But it's mm-hmm. like not it's like you can clearly tell it's a cat, but it's not a super detailed cat. It's like a wild illustration. It's like someone yeah. took a pen and was just like and they drew a cat. Also, I w- I want to say of a cat. about your book um that I I was reading earlier and like I just want to say that I really appreciate you guys for shouting out cover designers because I am a book cover designer, which I try to bring up as often as possible Um, (laughs) because it's a recent development in my career. But uh, thank you. It's really cool, though, that um, there are like several parts in the book and particularly in like the introduction sections where you're talking about each different, you know, sort of horror adjacent genre that you're covering where you really like spend time like shouting out these different female um cover designers and cover artists from you know the past and it was really really cool for me to read that because i never like hear about that kind of stuff so and covers are such an influential part of like how we perceive Mm -hmm books just seen it's important and and much like any other history of anything you know like female designers and artists are you know sorely underrepresented Mm -hmm. um in history books uh you know learning like when i was in college learning about graphic design we barely learned about any female graphic designers we were learning the history like all men um even though they were there because of course they're always there but we don't talk about them because uh we like to erase women from history. So thank you <laughs> for doing that. Um, it was really cool to read about that. Yeah. I will just state again. Monster She Wrote is very cool. It's awesome. It is also just a beautiful book. It would look great on your bookshelf. So It has beautiful mm-hmm. illustrations. I mean, throughout. you honestly need a copy. Yeah. So, you know, you heard it here. Get a copy. Typically, we do a little icebreaker question at the beginning of the podcast, but I was too excited <laughs> to talk about the book. Um, so we can do it. Uh, we can do it now. My quick icebreaker cue, because there is an infamous meal and we have always lived in the castle, if you could plan out your last meal, what would it be? I wrote this question and am already panicking to answer it. <laughs> well, like, because here's I the thing. <laughs> like, this is Kelly. We also usually do our intro question and then introduce ourselves, mm-hmm. like, during the question. But, like, it, this has been going on for a, a while now. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, excited. I'm Kelly, just in case, like, you know, it's been, like, 30 minutes. But, um... <laughs> it's okay. We're just gonna pretend, like, it's normal. We're just gonna do it 
It's okay. Be fine. You know, just say this your is name. Kelly. Okay. Um, <laughs> the issue that I always have with this question is that I'm like, realistically, if I were, if I knew that I was gonna die, I would not be able to eat. That's like fair. <laughs> I would not be hungry. And so I always think about when people are, like, their last meal before they, like, get executed or whatever. And I'm like, how could you possibly eat? Like, for me, at least, when I'm anxious or scared or whatever, my appetite immediately disappears. But if I if I had the opportunity to plan my meal and then not say, know. like, I'm, I'm not going to know that I'm about to die, but this is – a the type of meal I would want to have that I hope I will have as my last meal, it would be like fully dessert. Like mm. lots of like different, like pie, pudding, cupcakes, like <laughs> just a spread of dessert. Yeah. I would have died at this meal with the sugar. Yeah. When she was like, I, you know, I don't eat sugar. I was like, all right, then yeah. good for you, I guess. I'm sorry, Susan, you wanted to go? Yes, this is Susan. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, it depends how I'm going to die. So if I'm about to be, you know, like electric chair style, Oof. go out in a real blaze, um, then I'm going to do something that like it won't matter if it makes me feel terrible because it's going to be over soon. So, like, it'd be, like, my mom's chili and, like, a bunch of red wine, which you would never, like, drink, do this together because, like, heartburn central. But <laughs> if you're about to get, like... It's not going to have you know, time to sit in. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. If it's, like, Just right kill there, me before the yeah. heartburn sets in. That's all you have. <laughs> if I'm going to have to eat my meal and then go to sleep, you know, and wake up the next day and deal with it, yeah. and then I'm probably just going to eat, like, a bunch of different kinds of ice cream. But still the wine. <laughs> so the wine. Just, um, yeah. I'm gonna get drunk either way because like why not? Yeah. I'm about to die. Wow, I didn't so. even think about that. Good point. Yeah. I did not You're intend welcome. this level of analysis. <laughs> I can't ever just answer a question normally. <laughs> think about it. I mean, I didn't think about it that hard, you guys. And like this is Emily. Now that Kelly said the thing about dessert, I'm like, man, that's totally what I would do because I have such a sweet tooth and, like, mm-hmm. cookie dough is my favorite food. So, a whole thing of cookie dough. Like, I would probably just eat a giant bowl of cookie dough and, like, would not care about salmonella because, like, I'm going to die. So, like, whatever. Also, how many people right. do you personally know who have died from eating cookie dough? I've just never, not. ever heard of anyone getting sick from eating cookie dough. True story. Never heard of it. And I think yet, it's a I'm lie. And I'm still terrified to eat it. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm yeah, not. I'm not terrified to eat it. I eat it all the time because YOLO. Same. If I get sick, it was worth it. All right. <laughs> That's me. Not me. I'm, I'm going to go with cookie dough. That's it. I'm just going to go with cookie dough. Ooh, see, go. maybe I should have picked something Perfect. that I'm afraid of to eat normally because it won't oh, matter. Oh, and wine. And wine. Also, I'll have wine with my cookie dough. You'll have to re- rethink this, Susan. Cookie dough and wine. Oh, man. See, yeah, now there's a third option. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Mary. Melanie and Lisa, do you only. have a, a last meal in mind? This is sort of morbid now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about, like, morbid yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. That is true. 
Oh, man, I've been thinking about it. I'm not sure what mine would be. I'm liking this dessert idea, though. Well, we can just have a dessert party, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, like, lots of cookie dough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always loved my grandmother's peach cobbler. Mm-hmm. That would be if I knew I was going to die. It'd be pretty yeah. good to have. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I don't know, Lisa. What mm. are you thinking? Well, I I don't I don't have a big sweet tooth, so mm-hmm. I would, so you would have survived. I definitely would have survived a Shirley Jackson novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm probably going with like chips and salsa and tacos. Mm. Mm. Probably lots of margaritas. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because I well, I'm a stress eater too. So mm-hmm. you know, I would be eating a lot. I, I would not not want to eat. <laughs> Although I don't know. Now that I'm thinking, like if if I if I know I'm dying, maybe I'm eating everything I'm allergic to. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, there you so go. that I can just see what Rubbing I was missing. Your face in a cat. Yeah, you know? well, yeah. before the reaction hits. That's right. That's right. Invite all the black cats to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, eat like a big bowl of ice cream. <laughs> Just enjoy it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's what I would do. That sounds good. Tacos and ice cream sounds so good. I, you know, originally this is Mary. Uh, Thirty minutes in, this is Mary. <laughs> nice um, I originally like my first thought was like obviously Chinese takeout. Mm. I just I love Chinese takeout or maybe like uh, Korean bulgogi and like sticky rice. All good things. But but also dessert bar. I don't know. I think I would like like Chinese takeout with ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's good to think of multiple cheese. courses too. <laughs> and Mary would have like four beverages. Yes, yeah, so I would have many beverages. <laughs> Mary would have her tea, mm-hmm. her sparkling water, yes. regular water, <laughs> regular water, and then one fourth kind of wild coffee. Yeah, coffee, coffee. <laughs> and I'm just pounding bottles of wine. Yeah, I'm like, I don't care if it's making my teeth purple. <laughs> you gonna die? Gonna die. <laughs> uh, I'm asking this question because there we read Shirley Jackson's "We Have Always Lived in the Castle." to discuss this week kind of switching it up and doing another book pulling one over on everybody yeah <laughs> and reading another book but it was books great on books on books it was you great know. because like this is such a short and sweet novel it just like gets to the point and i'm pumped to discuss it the book jacket on the edition that i have and also the summary on goodreads is just the first paragraph of the novel but it is very attention grabbing. So I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the novel, which is also on the jacket. My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I am 18 years old and I live with my sister Constance. I've often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length. But I have had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself, and dogs, and noise. I like my sister Constance, and Richard Plantagenet, and Amanita Phalloids, the death cap mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. Solid. That's a solid first paragraph. <laughs> you know, when I first started reading, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, oh, it's like a kid. She's saying what she likes. And then, oh. <laughs> 
Should we say um, spoiler warning before we yes. go any further? Yes. Uh, we will be talking about the novel We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson in its entirety, including the ending. This isn't a new novel, so yeah. you have had time to read it. <laughs> yeah, but If you if haven't you read like, it, it's very short. It won't take you that long. It's yeah. very short and it's very good. And um, I encourage you to go read it. Pause. Go read it. Come back. Yeah, as always, we will wait for yes, you. Mm-hmm. As always. We'll but right here. we will be spoiling it. So be warned. Prepared. Have, uh, Beware. I have Beware. just a few talking points. Okay. <laughs> we can, uh, you know, go other places than this, of course. Um, I, as I was reading this, the farther I got, the more I started wondering, because this is always where I go when I talk about a novel. <laughs> what <laughs> makes this novel a horror novel? Or what about it is scary? Like, Shirley Jackson is obviously sort of working in this genre. She is a horror queen. But I'm just wondering, what is scary about this novel? What makes us as readers uneasy? The thing that made me uneasy right away is... I was immediately aware that uh, our narrator was um, unreliable Mm -hmm. um, and not in that like annoying, like cheap thriller type of way, but in a like, I don't know what I can trust about this person. She seems um, unstable. I'm not quite sure what's going on with her or what has been going on with her. Um, And so like the narration made me very uneasy um, and her as a character made me very uneasy. Um, so that was the source of unease. If we're talking about Mm -hmm. just unease, that's where it came from for me. So, yeah, I was going to say the same thing as like Maricat herself is like the thing that initially made me uneasy. I've never read this before. So this is my first, Mm -hmm. first time. Um, but like, you know, when she's out in the town and people are talking about her and you, you're, you're feeling kind of bad for her, like, gosh, these people are mean, and then, like, her thoughts turn so quickly, like, so, so dark, Mm -hmm. like, I'm imagining I'm walking on their bodies, I would really love to just watch them die, and watch their bodies rot under my feet, and I'm like, oh, girl, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, unreliable in that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she, she's a super creepy, super fascinating narrator. I mean, Mary Cat, her, um, her hatred is visceral on the page yes like it it yes i mean jackson always writes really good kind of insider outsider dichotomies you know the the townspeople are so mean they really are Mm -hmm. but her hatred is i mean it just oozes out of every pore from her and Mm -hmm. i think too about mary cat is and we've kind of mentioned this is it reads like a ch- a child narrating this, but she's eighteen mm-hmm. years old. Yes, yeah. like yeah, she's an adult. That is, yeah, <laughs> and that's that is eerie. And yeah, yes. I found it very unsettling. Like for me, the parts where she talked about about death and about killing people, I was like relatable because like <laughs> I've been like. 
I've, like, worked in customer service or whatever when, like, you know, people treat you like shit. And then I have definitely, like, and I would never follow through on anything like this. But I've definitely had, like, visceral imaginings of just how I would harm a person. Like, when I'm really angry. Like, and maybe that's, maybe that's not normal. But it's definitely something that I have experienced. But what I did find really weird was when she all of a sudden would be like, we live on the moon and blah, blah, blah. And like, and then just the way that she talked to Constance just in this way where she'd be like, can I have my lunch? Can you make me a sandwich? And it's just like, yeah, she acts like a little kid. You're 18. You could make your own sandwich. Yeah. And she has this like, almost like naive sense of like, she's like living in a fantasy sort of um that was unsettling (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i think the juxtaposition of her naivete and that weird fantasy world but then also that violence that's always under the current with her is really disturbing like this time around reading the book i was noticing every every time constance says something that makes it seem like she's going to try to like live her life or possibly leave or not make the sandwich there's like this weird thing between them yeah where mary cat like says you know she she didn't feel right or this was weird or she was gonna have to watch her and and constance even kind of pauses like she doesn't want to piss mary cat off and yeah until you know exactly what's going on that weird juxtaposition i think makes her a really creepy character yeah yeah, yeah and even like the two I mean, I'm I'm interested in how Maricat is childlike in a lot of ways because I study children's literature, and um, she she does act like a kid, and that I think that reads as creepy to us sometimes, just because it's kind of like a thing in a lot of horror movies is like the creepy child, and so I was kind of expecting her to be a lot younger than she was, um, and also the. Girls like Constance and Maricat are living in this ruin of a house. Like it feels like a spooky house, even in the beginning yeah. before mm-hmm. it gets really trashed. It still it still feels like a spooky old mansion. Like there's just an atmosphere from the beginning of the novel. Yeah, like all of their dead parents stuff is still exactly where it was before and they clean the rooms and keep them you know really really nice and i was almost like the whole time i was kind of expecting like there to be a ghost or something me too yeah um but it it never happens like not literally anyway though there are it's kind of like ghosts they're ghosts (laughs) people get accused of being ghosts so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people call yeah. each other ghosts and demons. Yeah. yeah, Emily and I were talking about this earlier, where it's, it's like everyone like, is just calling everyone else a ghost, a <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> they're all. I ghosts definitely was twist. waiting for the other shoe to drop for it to be like, ah, oh, she was a ghost. This person was a ghost the whole ghost time, the whole or they time. were a ghost. Yeah, <laughs> no, no yeah. I thought ghost. I was waiting on a on a ghost reveal as well. <laughs> yeah, it's almost more exciting that that's not what happens. So I think, yeah. <laughs> You brought up the house, like, in the environment of that, and it is really interesting how the house is both, like, completely ignored and falling apart, but also taken very specific yes. care of yes. in certain ways, like, the parent stuff. So it's, like, it's being both preserved and, like, actively ignored, yeah. too, at the same time, which 
I think just doing some cool stuff with like memory and reality that I don't really know how to articulate, but I thought that was an, a cool juxtaposition. <laughs> or not. I mean, that's cool no, too. We're it's just like whatever. We're all taking that in. We're nodding. We're like, I, yeah. I mean, my first reaction is like, I agree. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think too, nobody wants to like jump out and speak and like talk over someone. So we're all being like overly polite and like waiting, which is, it was I think, like the two better seconds of the too two. Long, though, where I was like, oh no, she said, I said something stupid. No, yeah. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> the guests think I'm dumb. Suddenly like, we lose Susan. <laughs> Susan dropped the call. That's so crazy. Anyway, let's just keep on going. She never came back again. Yeah. Just like with the podcast, she disappeared. Um, that's okay. All the awkward silences will be gone once yes. I edit yeah, it. Don't worry. Make, yeah, so don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, everyone me. jump in and make me sound super Oh smart my gosh, right Susan, that. that was so smart. No one's ever thought of it. No. That. <laughs> I'm really excited for the next question. I, so. Me too. I and you know, I thought about you while I was Thank writing you. this question, Susan. <laughs> um, I and I'm just kind of going out on a limb here. I was really interested in the way that Mary Cat uses rituals to protect her family. So she buries things around the property, nails things to trees on the property. She has words of power that she uh, thinks if no one says this word, mm. it will bring me power. Yeah. Uh, and she's, she has such specific things she does that are really interesting. And because I also study disability studies, I couldn't, I couldn't help but be reminded of OCD behaviors, like the obsession with certain ideas, the uh, compulsion to bury things and do rituals, not bury, not like you, if you have OCD, you bury things, but you know, the compulsion to do things thinking that if I just complete this task, it's going to protect my family. Certain things will happen. I'll be powerful. Um, at one point in the story, um, someone mentioned sympathetic magic that she's, that Mary Cat's engaging in. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I just wondered, I wondered like, what do you all think it means How's it significant? Because it does play a huge role in the story. All of these, you know, burying things, doing these rituals, her words of power. And we keep returning to them through the whole story. And she'll think, we know, our cousin got in because I didn't have this thing nailed to the tree. Or, like, this got dug up. Well, none of that magic seemed to work. Let me just say. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the thing. They were not protected. That's kind of the thing with OCD, too, is like you think if I do this, mm-hmm. if I do X, Y will happen. And that's not true. And like logically, you might know that, but just like the yeah. disorder of it says, no, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. What yeah, if it so is true? You guys are about to learn a lot about me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I, this is Susan again. Yeah, Susan. <laughs> I have OCD. Um, When I was a kid, it manifested actually kind of a lot like the way Mary Cat behaves, minus the violence. Minus (laughs) Minus the poison in my family. I don't think the violence is part of her OCD. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like intrusive thoughts can be part of it. You know, so like 
she actually does kind of seem to think in similar mm-hmm. patterns that like are related to OCD. So I didn't have that kind of thing, but I did have compulsions that were meant to protect my family, but mostly me because I was really, really like deathly afraid of getting sick. And so I had words like that. Like she had like, well, I had words that I, um, like couldn't say, or if I heard someone else say them, I would freak out because that was like one of the words that would mess everything up. Um, I know. And I knew then even like, that's not really what's happening, but I would have these little protections in place for myself throughout the day, especially when I was at school, because at home I would have my mom Mm -hmm. or her constant (laughs) to kind of like reassure me that things were fine. So like, you know, I'd paint my nails a certain color and it would be like, okay, this color is going to remind you of mom. And so when you're at school and you're freaking out about some kid being sick next to you, because they fucking always are (laughs) like, I'd look at, you know, this like weird blue nail polish and be like, okay. Yeah, that's like my, that's my nail color. I'm good. (laughs) And I know like saying this out loud as an adult sounds not to not therapist, but to just like whoever's listening to this podcast sounds bonkers, I'm sure. But like, as soon as she had those power words, I was like, this girl has OCD. Yeah. (laughs) I have to talk to her. (laughs) I just, I'm so familiar with that. And I'm glad this, it's not part of my life in that same way anymore, but it is this, way of trying to grasp at some kind of control of your environment or of what happens to you when you know the sad truth is that like you can't control anything and that's like it's too powerless to think that way though so you have to like exert that control however you can even if it's with words like Gloucester (laughs) was that one of your words or was that one of her words one of her (laughs) I actually had the exact same three (laughs) But what if I don't know? So it, I might have overshared. Just no, now. no, never Just saying like this was like the most like relatable OCD thing I've ever read yeah. without someone saying this child had OCD. Yeah. And here was her yeah. official diagnosis. <laughs> anyway, go but on. I mean, that's part of what <laughs> literature does, Susan, is like, you know, you're going to find personal connections in literature. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Is that what it does? I mean, it's one of the things it does. So I don't think like when I think that's why, as an English teacher, um, I ended up dealing with so many students coming to my office and crying, honestly. I don't know if that happens as much in other... I mean, I can't say because I've never taught anything but English, but I feel like you kind of like get this weird emotional connection with your students when you're talking about literature because you're talking about like empathy and sympathy and stuff like that, um, and you're talking about like uh, personal stuff, even if it's not their personal stuff, if you're just talking about characters' personal stuff, it still gets personal. And so, like, ah, I think it's okay to get personal with literature. I think it's kind of like what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's a thing I never got personal about until I was an adult. Yeah. yeah. And like, kind of understood the mechanism behind it. Like, yeah. I hid it from, you know, for a really long time. So it is still kind of weird to just like, yeah. Say this much about it, especially when there's like two people I literally just met. Like, 
30 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> but um, now we know each other really well and we're best friends for life. So it, yeah. it all worked out. You know, it's funny too because I too have OCD, but a different type of OCD where I really don't have compulsions. I just have obsessions and obsessive thoughts. But now I'm like, oh, hey, I do have violent thoughts. Maybe. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of funny. We're really having breakthroughs on wow. this episode. Because, you know, it is true that, like, part of how I would deal with my anger in situations where I couldn't express anger because I was, like, working at I, – I specifically think about when I was working at a grocery store and <laughs> people public. would be – public. Oh, my gosh, I called them out. Go ahead. Publix. It's not Publix's fault that people are assholes. Um, people would come through my line and just be terrible. And I would, like, almost – like, in order to calm myself down, I would imagine, like – doing horrible things to the person in front of me. No, <laughs> like Kelly. Not. But then I would still, like, act normal and be like, thanks, have a good day, or whatever. And then in my mind, I was like, I'm putting my fingernails through your face, or whatever. Like, just <laughs> wow. as an offhanded example. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of funny, too, that OCD uh, mm. relationship yeah, I think me and you together as one person would maybe manifest as Mary Cat. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's really we have one half that of her. You guys kind are of, not one person. We would we're. commit murder. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not of you guys. No. Probably. <laughs> we we're all That's the constants. Co- collectively, so. we're constants. But we just told yeah. you we would eat so much sugar, so. Well, I would eat sugar, too, so I would not put it in the sugar. I'd put it in something else. Put it in the salsa. Yeah, I don't want to hurt myself. Hey, no, then Lisa's going to... Yeah, are you, no. like, personally attacking Lisa right now? I, I am literally the only person who mentioned salsa on this podcast. <laughs> no, Mary said she would eat it, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would eat. I would be right there eating chips and salsa and tacos. I'm sorry. Well, that was I'll like you guys. I hope you like those chips. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I mean, I'm I'm interested in how uh sort of like what we would now view as mental disability is coded as like uh I don't know, creepy or <laughs> ominous and stuff. So, I mean, that was just something I particularly noticed. I also, I mean, part of it is there's like a gap in my supernatural knowledge of sympathetic magic. So when that was mentioned, I wasn't 100% sure. I had to do some Googling. I'm still not. Yeah, I don't really know what it is. (laughs) What did you discover upon your research? (laughs) I mean, just like research is a generous term to say. I mean, I Googled. I Googled a little bit and browsed the Wikipedia. Uh, Oh, okay. Wikipedia. All right. That's good. No, no. That's more than I did. So from what I understood, it's kind of like a primitive magic based on the idea that you can do something to one object and it has an effect on another object. So like voodoo dolls. Okay. Or like little fetishes that you would do something to would have an effect on someone else. It's also called like imitative magic, I think. Okay. A lot of stuff with symbols. 
Okay. Does anyone else know something about? I feel like I'm just like. No, I mean it makes sense. No. To me now that you say it. I just I'm interested. I am definitely interested and want to look up more. I just didn't have time to do it. And this, I mean, it reads as OCD behavior to me. But I recognize I'm also like that's where my brain is a lot of the time mm-hmm. is thinking about uh, like mental health and disability. Well, and I always hesitate to read, you know, like author intent of course, and stuff. Right. But yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, Jackson was, uh, you know, kind of an amateur expert on the history of witchcraft, and you had a huge library on it, so, and often talked about that type of magic that you're Mm -hmm. describing there, so, I mean, it may have just been, like, something for her to work into that character. It's, I mean, I think, it definitely is clear she knew something, like, she knew what she was doing, it seems, like, very intentional, and is working well, I think, in the novel and yeah. it makes an, it makes sense that she was sort of like an amateur expert. I wish I could just sit down and have like coffee with Shirley Jackson <laughs> after reading this book. Cause I have so many questions. Um, I guess we can move on if we want to. You're the leader, Mary. I know I'm a bad <laughs> leader. Cause I'm always like, is everyone done? <laughs> <laughs> um, so in a way, the sisters kind of become ghosts at the end of the story. They live in their castle, which is sort of structurally unsound, it seems. It literally doesn't have a roof. It doesn't have a roof, <laughs> which is how it's kind of castle-like. But the two the sisters live in this house by themselves. Uncle Julian, who we haven't mentioned yet. We haven't mentioned Julian or Charles. Yeah, I or you know, you know, we can, haven't talked about Jonas yet. That's the real issue. Charles can go eat rocks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> agree. So I, I must quickly uh, shout out to. I don't know if you guys have watched Emily and I watched it, the movie that they yeah. did a couple years ago. Um, with which Taisa I want Carmiga. to watch it. It's on Netflix. Yeah. So it's not bad. Readily it's not available. Bad. Huh. Um. It's a pretty faithful adaptation with, like, a couple of significant changes towards the end. But uh, Yeah, to Charles? Yeah. Um, uh, well, we don't want to spoil the movie for them. Okay. Well, <laughs> something happens to Charles at the end that did not happen in the book. Yeah. But up until the end... <laughs> it doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. Up until the end, it's pretty much almost exact. Yeah. Like, it's pretty close. But um, it's good... Uh, and anyway, I just wanted to quickly say that Sebastian Stan plays Charles, and he looks good. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. That's not how I imagine Charles. Yeah. I was reading it, and I was like, this guy sounds horrible. And then I was watching him, and I was like, he's okay. I see what, I see what Constance saw in him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it weird that I did imagine him as being hot? She kept describing him as having, like, a horrible round face, and I was well, like... Well, but also this was but, Mary I Cat, mean, so... Yeah, it's true. From her. Anyway, what was the I question? Was like, this was not the question at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, so my question is, it seems, it seems like the sisters are ghosts at the end of the story, but they're happy. Like, they seem yeah. genuinely happy. Living in seclusion, trapped in this house. Mary Cat is wearing tablecloths and things. Oh, Mary Cat is happy. Yeah, I was gonna say that's true. Yeah, she is our narrator. 
So it um, seems like they're happy. She has everything she wants, which is to be alone forever with Constance mm-hmm. and never yeah. have to people, speak to People are bringing them food so she doesn't have to go to town anymore. Yeah. Now that we're saying this out loud, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it does seem skewed. Uh, the, the townspeople also seem like strangely deferential. You know, like well, they treating, feel guilty. They feel guilty for things they've done and said. the The townspeople trash the house, yeah, most significantly. Um, and even children that sort of go up on the steps of the house and yell mean rhymes feel bad later and bring them food and stuff and just kind of leave it on the doorstep. So the girls have plenty to eat. They are living inside the house, and according to our narrator. <laughs> They are happy. So I mm. guess, like, what do we make of the end of the story? Is this like a, is this a, is this a happy ending? You know, okay, so this is, I've read this book a lot because it's my favorite Jackson. Yeah. And so I was really excited to reread it. And I had always focused on Maricat because she's such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. But then I started noticing more as I was reading it this time around that Constance was constantly, I mean, and this is part of what brought up a lot of the the magic rituals was to stop Constance from leaving because she wanted, like, she wanted to leave and she wanted to ex- go out into the world and that terrified Maricat. And I think I had always read it too as like a happy ending for the sisters. But this time around, it just didn't seem, it didn't sit right with me when I looked at it from Constance's point of view. Because I mm-hmm. thought, I know she loves her sister, but I also wonder how much of that was fear of what her sister would turn into. Mm-hmm. Or like what would happen to her. And so I think she's trapped in the end. Um, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I think she loves her sister. but. Yeah. She also knows what her sister is. It's co- it's a complicated love. Yeah. I mean, I think she does love her and wants to protect her, but then also she is living with the knowledge that Miracat killed their family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she could be next. She doesn't know. Yeah. You know, and she like displeases we her. get the impression that their parents are not great people, particularly their dad. Um, But we don't really ever get a full, like, understanding of, like, what drove Maricat to do what she did. Well, she was being punished. Yeah. And so I guess this was some sort of, like, lashing out for being punished for something. Right. But, like, why this time? And I'm sure she'd been punished before, you know? And the parents mm-hmm. were arguing, like, really mm-hmm. heatedly. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that, that, we talk about Uncle Julian a little bit. Like, he's kind of the character that f- fills in the non-Maricat point of view. Because we never yeah, hear right. really from Constance. And um, he's – because he's the one who's, I, I, I guess – investigating what happened because he doesn't remember. He's like a historian of what right. happened. Um, <laughs> which I, I love, I, I don't want to guess off topic, but I love when no, the people please. come to tea 
And he's just like, would you like to see the room? Would you like to see yes. what happened? And I was like, I want to meet Uncle Julian. Like, he so just yeah. seems amazing. <laughs> then every, everyone leaves and he's like, how'd I do? Like he was giving a presentation <laughs> <Right>. on. <laughs> he also, it seems, it seems so ominous. You know, he starts, he warms up and starts talking about the murder. And then he's like, you know, it happened here. <laughs> We could go into the dining room and see. And it's like, no, Julian, we have company. But see, if I were coming to tea, I'd be like, yeah, let's do that. That's like, well, why else would you be going there? There is yeah, the exactly. one guest who's like, yes, show me. Yeah. Yeah. That would be me nosing around. Like, tell me yeah. more details, please. I agree, though. I feel bad for Constance that uh, she she is trapped at the end. And she seems like she also, even though she was, you know, indicted or not indicted, what's the w- indicted? Acquitted. Uh, acquitted? Acquitted, yeah. She Say that acquitted. again so we can edit it and you make you sound smart. I'm very, I, w- I had jury duty one time. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was acquitted uh, of the crime, you know. But I'm going to have to leave all that in uh, there. Oh, whatever. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> she kind of like she never she kind of like took the fall in a way like mm-hmm. even though she is you know free and technically didn't do it or whatever like everyone thinks she did it yes. and mm-hmm. she never says I didn't do it like even when Uncle Julian is explaining like everything that happened she never argues with him or tries or really tries to stop him from telling the story at all she's just like he's like well, you washed the sugar bowl. And she's like, there was a spider in it. Um, <laughs> like, but she does. She obviously doesn't want to, like, get Mary Cat in trouble. Right. Um, but, but again, it's like she takes on this responsibility. And it, like, all falls to her. She also is the one who's, like, caring for Uncle Julian after Mary Cat poisoned him. Like... <laughs> It sucks for her. Constance does say when they come to do the investigation or whatever, they deserved it. That's right. You know, that's that's one of the things she says that makes them think she's guilty. Um, So, I mean, we're under the impression that even though she stuck with Mary Cat's decision in protecting her, that maybe she agreed with Mary Cat. Yeah. Which I, you know, I, you know, we'll, I don't know that we'll ever know precisely why it happened. I mean, I think that's why Uncle Julian is the weird historian, right? Because he's like us trying to put all these puzzle pieces together and he can't, he'll never figure it out. But, you know? but she also won't let Mary Cat in Uncle Julian's room. Right. Which is like, yeah. to me, when I was reading that, I was like, she's, it's like she has a feral animal in the house. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> she basically does. She, <laughs> She's like, yeah, you know, this is my sister. I love her. I'm going to protect her. Don't go in his room. Don't mess with him. <laughs> Leave him alone. You've done right. enough. And, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's it's an odd relationship. Even after he dies, Mary Cat says, but I'm not allowed in his room. Yeah. <laughs> I can't go in there. You know, early in the novel when, like, when Mary Cat comes back from her first trip to the town that we see and Constance is like, I'm so, I'm always so happy when you're back. I thought Constance is going to be the weirdo sister. <laughs> it's like, yeah. stay with me or something. Like, I was expecting 
a totally different right. dynamic between the two of them at first. Um, not not how it turned out to be. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I really, I get the impression, Lisa, like you said, this book rewards multiple readings and that she would have a different take on it the more you read it, you know, because I, this was my first time reading it and I was like, yes, they're so happy in the end. It's great. <laughs> they're, they're by themselves. They've got food. They're wearing tablecloths. And now hearing, like, hearing everyone talk about it, I'm like, oh, no, they're trapped. <laughs> like, yeah. this house is a prison for Constance. Mm. And it is, uh, I mean, it's just like, there's so much going on here. Like, this complexity of Constance's love for Maricat. You know, like, she can know she did something horrible, but still love her and want to protect her. I don't know. She also seems to take on a certain amount of responsibility for, mm-hmm. like, guilt almost, because she repeatedly says, you know, how could I have let this happen? Like, how did I, you know, look at where we are? Like, how did, like, you know, Uncle Julian should be in a hospital. And she says, like, you should have boyfriends, which is like, yeah. um, I don't think that would go very well, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like, she, like, wants Marika to have, like, a normal life, and she wants to, right. like, have been a better sister and made everything okay. And it's like, it's clearly impossible. And Constance seems to want to have a normal life. Like she mentions, you know, maybe it is time to go out and face the world again. And when Charles comes, when Cousin Charles comes, sort of as awful as he is, she does seem to be, like, warming up to the idea of him staying. And I guess them getting married? Uh, I don't know. Like, she seems to be making an honest attempt to try to have a normal life. And she does want that for Maricat. But it's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen. Because Maricat sets the house on fire. <laughs> so. A little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just sort of offhandedly, we mentioned Maricat has a cat named Jonas. Yes. Who's on the cover of the book. And uh, I was waiting for Jonas to speak at any moment. He does. Spe- Remember the time that he speaks? And I'm like, wait. Does the cat talk? And then, like, that, you know, it didn't happen again. It was obviously yeah. just Mary Cat, like, yeah. imagining that he was talking to her. But I mean, I for a second, I was like, is this going in a different direction? Is there a talking cat? <laughs> <laughs> I got really excited. I also, when Charles was trying to sort of befriend Mary Cat by talking to Jonas, I was like, how dare you? Yeah. No. You don't yeah. get to talk to Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> Jonas is above you. I love Jonas. (laughs) I Um, I just have one last question for Lisa and Melanie. How does Shirley Jackson factor into the larger world of horror and mystery novelists? Like we, we we've already said many of us, this is our first encounter with Shirley Jackson or our first encounter um, with this novel, particularly. So how does she fit into everything? And also, do you think her work is sort of having a moment right now? Like we saw, um, or we saw, we, you know, Kelly and Emily watched the really recent adaptation of this book and Haunting of Hill House has been, I mean, I would say pretty successful on Netflix. Yeah. Got everybody talking for a while. Is her work kind of like getting, I mean, I guess it's always been red, but is it, is it hot right now? (laughs) <laughs> the lottery miniseries is next. No, I'm just made oh that up. God. That's not we, real. We do not know. need that. 
Uh, ten episodes of people getting yeah, stoned yeah, yeah. at the end of everyone. It could be a good reality TV mm. show, I guess. <laughs> That's a good idea. Now, if we're pushing for adaptations, I want to see her novel, The Sundial, come out next. Oh, yeah. That would be um, great. Yeah. Yeah. If y'all have not read The Sundial, if, if you're interested in more Jackson mm-hmm. and you've read The Haunting of Hill House and we have always lived in the castle, then the next one needs to be The Sundial. Um, okay. I like that one a lot. Um, no, but to answer your question, I think, I mean, Jackson is one of those authors that you have to talk about when you talk about horror because she influenced so many writers after her. Stephen King couldn't have written The Shining, I don't think, without The Haunting of Hill House. Um, it was one of, I mean, it is the definitive haunted house novel, I think. And every haunted house novel that came after that was influenced by it. Um, like House of Leaves. I love that book. And oh, that's, yeah. You know, yeah. that's The Haunting of Hill House is all over that. Um, but, yeah, she's having a she's having a moment. But here's the thing that, that worries me. And this is where I'm going to get on my podium. Yeah, do it. <laughs> um, get on the podium. Because when I talk to my students, when I teach literature – if I mention Shirley Jackson, they don't know who she is. They don't know right. the name. But when I say The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, they're like, oh, yeah. And this mm-hmm. is the main problem I had with that show is that they made The Haunting of Hill House a book in the show and then gave it to Steve. Yeah. You know, and I was you, Steve. Yeah. The worst, char- the the worst, worst character. character in the, the whole character. show. And, it, and I was just like, I, I think I texted Melanie when I watched it for the first time. I was like, did they just erase Shirley Jackson out of existence? <laughs> like they, they just, did. They took her novel and gave it to somebody else. And that bothered yeah. me. And um, so I hope, I hope people keep adapting her work and keep talking about her work. But I really hope they attach her name to it. Like I want to see, you know, Shirley right. Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle – or Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of a Hill House and not The Haunting of a Hill House written by Stephen Crane. Um, <laughs> I don't um, want to see anything by Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to see Steve again. Yeah. And apparently I read somewhere they got that name from Stephen King. Like they wanted that to be like a – which is uh, it's fine. But again, you yeah. know. One kind of funny thing that – which is like totally a throwaway thing, but on I don't know if you guys have watched the second season or even the first season of the Sabrina series on Netflix. But in the second season, they have introduced a bunch of other characters, and one of them is named Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they like named a bunch of them after like kind of horror novelists and stuff, and it's funny. <laughs> I, I, I did I liked that. Um, but again, I don't know yeah. how many people would know that. Like watching. Yeah. Uh, but it, that was a fun scene. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I completely agree about what The Haunting of Hill House did. I love Netflix's Haunting of Hill House. I really enjoyed it once I sat down and watched it. I was one of those people who didn't watch it for a while because I was like, this isn't Shirley Jackson's novel, you know. And and I also was irritated by kind of the erasure of her uh, from it. I, too, actually this semester, uh, the students were asking me, like, what uh, haunted house books I I enjoy or I would recommend. I said, you know, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. And they were like, that's a Netflix show. It's like actually. Oh my god! Did she write a book based on the Netflix show? (laughs) And I was just like, "This is so sad." Because I mean, these are these are students who have read a lot in this particular case, you know, and they're just not getting Shirley Jackson. And you know, my experience with Shirley Jackson was reading the lottery. Um, I distinctly remember reading that in school, and I've never forgotten that story because it was so Mm -hmm. creepy. Um, and then I discovered The Haunting of Hill House almost by accident, um, and that got me reading her stuff. I do think she is coming back into vogue mm-hmm. to a certain extent. We are at a point right now where almost all of her stuff is back in print, and that you couldn't say that when Lisa and I were in graduate school. That's awesome. I mean, this is something that's just happened in, like, 2010. So I think there are people out there who want to read more of her stuff and are interested in it, and I hope it just continues to grow, because nobody... I totally agree with Lisa about The Haunting of Hill House. It's a seminal haunted house book. But her other books are so fascinating. Her stories, like, no one, she writes Twilight Zone type episodes, like, (laughs) before the Twilight Zone even really existed. I mean, she has stuff where it's just a guy going home from work, and he starts being followed by somebody. And you never know why, right? But it's like your worst nightmare, yeah. you know? Or a woman who hears a story about a home invasion in her town, and then she's totally worried. And you get to the end of the story, and you're like, wow, maybe she is going to die, but you don't quite know. And she tells these stories where the whole time it's completely normal, everyday life, and then something horrifying happens. And I think the beauty of it is that a lot of the horror that she writes is stuff where you're like, oh, my gosh, like... I could see that happening to somebody, you know, and I I hope that more of her stories that are like that uh, start getting uh, people's interest and and not necessarily her gothic stories, which are great. And I love that people are adapting them and reading them, but there's so much more to her writing out there um, that we just, you know, we're not seeing unless you're specifically on a Shirley Jackson kick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I happened to be reading, uh, like a horror anthology, just like a couple stories from it. And one of her stories was in there, which is called, I believe, The Tooth. And it is the most horrifying thing. Like, my, I, I, we were reading it because I was with a friend and we were just like, it was raining and we're like, let's read some scary stories to each other. And literally, as I was going to sleep that night, I was just lying there thinking about this story, which is just so upsetting. And the premise of the story is a woman goes to, like, get a tooth pulled at the dentist, and it just, like... Which is a normal thing. Yeah, and it goes, like, it's... I can't even describe it. Definitely read that if you want to be, um... If you want your life to be ruined. Okay. (laughs) I... This is all selling Shirley Jackson to me, and I am about to be on a Shirley Jackson kick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed with myself and how little Shirley Jackson I have Me too. Um... And this is why yeah, I have work to do. When we had you guys, when we knew that we were going to invite you guys on the podcast, we wanted to do a Shirley Jackson book because I think we all kind of felt like Shirley Jackson was one of those authors that we wanted to read more of, but just like hadn't for whatever reason. Um, 
And so this was like an amazing opportunity for us to kind of um, jump into that. So like, thank you for giving us this opportunity. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for giving us a reason to read Shirley Jackson and tell other people to read her and for talking about it with us. Yes. Yes. What's in the blog? What's up next? So we've got, unfortunately, Bachelor in Paradise is still on. <laughs> uh, Susan and I, <laughs> oh man, you guys, Susan and I thought we were done. Uh, it's still on this week, so we've got one more to go. It's By the time ending. this episode comes out, though, Bachelor in Paradise will be over, and Susan and I will be much happier human beings. Uh, we are <laughs> never recapping the show ever again yeah. because we are broken and dead inside <laughs> but we're finishing that it out being said, it's been a pretty decent season it's just like it's a lot to recap i'm sure <laughs> i would have been decent had i not been trying to recap it like i'm sure just like yeah. watching it it's very enjoyable but my not meant to be thought about like yeah trying to make sense of what's happening is just like don't do it don't this is all to say we regret it but thank you for reading our yes, recaps we appreciate they the love now. and support we just have the one left to read so. Um, Are You the One is also done. Um, I cried during the last episode. It was wonderful. Um, please, if you're not watching Are You the One, watch it because it's so good. Okay? Um, and I really hope that they do another queer season because, like, just, w- I mean, we need more good. queer dating shows on television. Like, and it was, it was just very compelling television. I want to see more of it. Okay. Agree. Uh, Todd and I are, I guess, recapping Survivor again. <laughs> I'm We're excited about it. hand over the recap torch to you. I'm done I'm, recapping for now. It's on I'm to you. I'm excited about it. Uh, the Survivor cast has been announced, and Todd and I judge them all solely based on looks and bios, bachelor style. <laughs> nice. Um, which was fun. Uh, also, I'll just uh, say this while I'm talking. Tide has also written a blog post about Hades Town, the Broadway musical. Um, he is obsessed with it and has a lot of really interesting thoughts on it. So that is also up on the blog. Woo! Yeah. We are going to have a guest post from Janet. And I like that here it says, before, okay, you added the name, but before it just said <laughs> Janet's blog about her favorite nun. <laughs> <laughs> um, sister you know, Hill. We all we all have a favorite nun, you yeah. know. So like, don't yeah. act like that's a weird thing, okay? <laughs> we all have a um, favorite nun. As a Jew, <laughs> doesn't mean that's you can't. Just, I mean, you can still have a favorite nun. It's fine. You're a former yeah, Catholic. Allowed, but yeah, yeah. Some nuns. actually, as a former Catholic, I should have a favorite. Yeah. Nun. <laughs> I just don't. Hmm. That's why they won't let me be Catholic anymore. Uh, I will be writing, I think, about if if I manage to see it. I think I'm going to see it tomorrow night. Um, The Goldfinch, which is being panned by critics. Um, And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. uh, Me too. Because I I just read the book. So I'm going to do a little. Did you like the book? I loved the book. I really want to read the book, but also it's like 30 hours on audiobook. Yeah, it's 800 pages. Uh, I just can't. Um, 
I loved it, though. And so I'm really, like, looking forward to seeing the film, seeing why people are not liking it, and kind of comparing it to the book and Mm. seeing how I feel. Also, Emily and I wrote about, for Emily's uh, Spooktober. Spooktober. Her 10 weeks of Spooktober. We did a post on It Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Sloppy bitch. <laughs> it Chapter 2. Thank you for taking that torch from me because it would have been a very different post <laughs> if Emily and I had written it together because I, like, hard disagree with so much oh of it. Oh, my gosh. I cannot <laughs> wait to – I want to hear because I feel like – I don't know. I, I like... still haven't seen it. Wait, so Susan, did you hate the movie or did you like it? No, I really liked it. Oh, Wait, okay. so what do you disagree yeah. about? I'm so, oh my gosh, we need a second post about, we can just, let's post, the rest of Spooktober is just do going to be talking about it. Because... You and Kelly wrote about it and now Susan and I are going to write about it. Yes, and then, yeah. and then Susan and, then and I are going to write about it and Kelly and Mary are going to write about it and then Mary and I are going to write about it and we're going to... I was more positive than Emily. Yes. But, so, like, the review ended up being more negative because Emily was kind of leading the review, I think. Um, Because I kept being like, let's talk about some things we liked. And you'd be like, well, I hated that part, but okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I didn't hate the movie. I just think it was, like, objectively speaking, it wasn't a good movie. Yeah, but, I agree with that. But I really <laughs> I love it as a story it has a special place in my heart as being the first Stephen King novel I ever read um I grew up watching the miniseries um so like I love the story um and I think there were a lot of really cool things about the movie it was really well cast I I mean I love pretty much every actor they put in this movie and they just were like perfect um but I mean like the uh, adult portion of it is kind of a mess anyway. And so, like, making a movie about the adult portion of it um, is just going to be a mess. That's not really anyone's fault. I mean, I guess I mean, they could Stephen have tried King's to fault, fix it. Yeah. yeah. But, like, it's just, like, it's a mess. Like, there's a reason that book is over a thousand pages. And it's, it's, it, there's a reason that it is over a thousand pages. And it's because Stephen King did not know, like, what like he he was like killer clown great right now i don't know like i guess he's like an alien or from another dimension there are deadlights i he's a spider i don't know like he got kind of lost in the like i don't know you know in the office when michael scott says like sometimes i just start a sentence and i don't know where it's gonna end up but i just keep talking well that's i mean i do that all the time the kid part is the beginning of the sentence and you're like oh yes this is great i like where we're going and then at the the adult part is the end of the sentence where you're like wow we just really went off the rails here that's how I feel about I it. I love Stephen King so much that I stick with him through oh, yeah. so many of those trailing yeah, yeah. sentences. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Needful things. <laughs> We've covered a lot of Stephen King on this podcast. Yeah. And we will be covering more Stephen King. Yeah. I'm Stay still a Stephen that. King baby, Thanks but I did me. present on <laughs> it at an academic conference. Yeah. Oh and I did, I did a paper on The Shining. Yeah, Thank hey. you. Um, our next episode <laughs> is going to be about Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty, who I forgot is the author of Big Little Lies. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I said it on our last I, You know, my mind God, is just like listen. a hole. 
And I I chose, this is Susan again, uh, one hour and 30 minutes in. Welcome back. Um, <laughs> I chose this book. And I, so I really extra hope everyone likes it because I sometimes make stupid choices. I'm enjoying it. And mm. I haven't started it yet, really but I'm so like happy to hear that. But Lisa, Melanie, have you read it? Yes. Mm. I have not. <laughs> okay. So rumor has it, it's a little culty. Am I, am I right? Yes. <gasps> yeah. it, yes. But right. in it, We're bringing it full <laughs> In a circle. really yeah. surprising way. It was fun. It's a fun book. Interesting. Oh, I can't wait. I'm okay, very good. I picked it because it sounded culty. I love a good cult. <laughs> They're yeah. all great. So um, that's what's happening next. Please read along with us. And then, oh my God, y'all! Then we're doing another book. This and books, then, that's, that's what I said. Books, books on books on books. Books on books on books. We're a squad of books. We're going to talk about <laughs> my best friend's exorcism by <laughs> Grady Hendrix, which is another quirk book. Do you guys know Grady, or have you read this book? Yes, um, to both. Yes, Actually, to both. We yeah. interviewed him on the No Fear yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. interviewed him oh, on our podcast. And we interviewed him here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a delightful fellow, you know? I like, mean, he's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, he honestly, like, I would like to be friends with him. He seems like a gem. He's got lots of smart things to say about uh, horror as a genre. I love paperbacks from Hill. Yeah. Um, I love, okay, I know that. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, you might know this already, but I love my best friend's exorcism. Like, I love this book. And uh, I've sort of been gradually forcing everyone I know to read it. The this last is the person, last step. The last person Susan, on this podcast who step. has not read this book is Susan. So we're putting it on the podcast to make Susan read it. For so Halloween. everyone. So I'll have to read it. This I, mean, is I, gonna, I would have done it yeah. anyway, but I, I'm glad that we're going to do this because it feels like something that everyone has always wanted yeah. to talk about and now we're going to have yeah. the space to do it. And this book officially. holds the special place in my heart as the only book that has ever given me a panic attack. Hooray! So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's fun. got some disturbing yeah. imagery in it. Yeah. Kelly, do you want to do your thing? My thing? Your thing? Oh, I was like, what the... Oh, the thing that I do every time, yeah. which is... Okay. Um... <laughs> Please follow us on social media. We are at Goals on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can visit us on the World Wide Web at BookSwagGoals.com. If you want to see our blog, you could go type that in and then put slash blog at the end. Or you could click on the word blog when you get to the website. There are options. Um, if you have Choose any comments or questions about We Have Always Lived in the Castle – about anything we've ever talked about, maybe, you know, the other things from our previous other episodes that you did not write feedback about for this episode, <laughs> yeah, what you the can hell? email us at com. Please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, and please give us a rating and review because that helps other people find us, and we would really, really appreciate it, but only if you give us five stars. Just kidding. Yeah. Not true. You have free will. No, um, you don't. Oh, and please follow the um, No Fear podcast as well. Of yes. course. Follow No Fear. Do you guys have, like, social media plugs that you can give us? Yeah, we're um, we're on social media on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at No Fear Podcast. And um, I am lurking around those as well. 
Uh, on Twitter, I'm at LB Kroger, and then I'm Lisa.Kroger on Instagram. Awesome. What about you, Melanie? Uh, I guess the best bet for people to see what's up with me would be uh, my website, which is MelanieRAnderson.com. Awesome. And as we said before, uh, Monster She Wrote is on sale now. You should buy it. It is awesome. Yes. You will learn a lot and also have fun. Mm-hmm. Which is the best thing that the best ever kind be said of learning about a nonfiction book. You will learn mm-hmm. a lot and also have fun. Yeah, Lisa, Melanie, thank you so much for coming and talking to us and yes. setting aside time to talk to us. It was a true pleasure having you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for having us on. It was fun. Yeah, so much fun. Yay! All right, cool.